Welcome to the teaching ministry of Paseo del Rey Church in Chula Vista, California. All right. Well, it is my immense privilege to get to speak to you guys this morning. Uh, as Pastor said, my name is Brooks Buser. I have a wife, Nina, and a 16-year-old son, and we are three weeks back from the country of Papua New Guinea. Uh, we've been there 13 years, and we've been working among the Yembe Yembe people, and we'll show you guys a little bit of, of a glimpse of those guys in another few minutes here. But uh, I just want to say first off, man, I, I would second what Pastor said. I encourage you guys to come. Here at the Ringenbergs on Thursday, we were actually getting ready to head to the field of Papua New Guinea, and in our neighboring flat, our neighboring apartment, the Ringenbergs were living. They had a daughter at the time that was, uh, she had cancer, and she was in her last month of life while we were with them. And the day that uh, the Lord decided to take her, uh, Dave was away, and uh, Dave and I used to go swimming every morning at La Jolla Cove just to stay in shape and I had to go get Dave uh, and drive him back, and he was there for the last few minutes of his daughter's time on this earth. But uh, what a neat, neat couple. Just privileged that you guys don't know how privileged you are to know that couple and what they've gone through, the depth, and the job that they're doing over in Papua is amazing. Uh, Dave's an incredible pilot. He's the lifeline for many, many friends of mine. So anyways, yeah, I'd second that. Come on Thursday, you'll get to hear some great stories, and you get to meet a great, great family. So um, <clears throat> this morning... Before we get going, uh, I just, I want to put a little pitch in here at the beginning. It is, uh, I have an ulterior agenda. I would love to see everyone in these chairs uh, be a part of the perspectives class that is coming up in August. There's a booth right out there to the east that uh, if you guys want to be a part of perspectives, perspectives is the premier missions class in all the United States right now. If you want to know what God is doing around the nations and why he's doing it, what are the biblical roots for why we actually send people out? Is it one of the things we do as a church? Is singing and VBS and missions is also one of these things. Perspectives grounds you in the history of it. It grounds you in the biblicalness of it. It has an incredible impact on your church. And trust me, talk to your pastor, talk to anybody who has gone through perspectives. You will understand and you will, you'll have your life changed. You really will. So, man, I, that is my strongest endorsement that I can give. Uh, please, please, please sign up for that for sure. Before um, we go too far, I just want to give you guys a little bit of history before I show a little video here about myself so you know who's talking to you, have some background on who this guy is that Pastor brought in to speak to you on this day. Um, I actually grew up overseas. Um, I grew up in the country of Papua New Guinea, came back here when I was 18. There's a law that says uh, once you graduate from high school in the country, you cannot stay within the country. I had no desire to whatsoever, came back, wanted to join the Marine Corps. I got back to the United States. Uh, my dad is from San Diego, and so my grandfather uh, had me stay there. I told my dad, Dad, the uh, first week we get back, I'm going down to enlist. I'm going to join the Corps. And uh, dad said, okay, um, <laughs> let's talk about this. And he said, I'd love for you to join the Corps, son, but honestly, I want you to take uh, two years. Just do me this favor. Take two years and go to college. And if you still want to join the Corps after that, that's fine. I'll give you my blessing. I'll be right behind you. But I want you to do two years first at college, and then we'll decide. And so dad was smarter than I was. He knew that as soon as I made it to college, I was going to find some girl, and that was going to be the end of that. 
And sure enough, I pull into college, and we did this little orientation icebreaker thing, and this incredible, beautiful girl comes walking in the door, and I see that she is the guy, or she's the orientation director, and right behind her is this guy who I found out later, she's about a month away from getting engaged to, and I'm going, oh my goodness. So... I'd spend a lot of money, a lot of time, and uh, eventually we got those two to part ways. I'm not sure. <laughs> and God's will was done, and <laughs> we ended up getting married. Um, uh, my wife and I graduated from San Diego Christian College. My wife had a degree in counseling psychology. I had a degree in business administration. We got out of there, and like a lot of college students, we had about $60,000 in loans when we popped out of college. And the Lord provided this incredible job that I worked for called Trespa North America. Started off as a baseline accountant, worked my way up to accounting manager, and eventually worked my way up to CFO of the company. Within nine months of being in the company, uh, we'd paid off our student loans, and we were looking for what we were gonna do with the rest of our lives. And guys, we were supporting missionaries at the time. We were involved in our home church. We were doing things. It's not like we were walking away from the Lord. Man, we were very much walking with the Lord. But God continued to bring this book and what it says in on our lives, just burrowing in through our daily devotions. And I'm working over in Europe at the time. I worked in Paris. I worked in Dusseldorf, Germany. I was working in uh, Brussels, going all over as the chief financial officer for this company. We were getting ready to put a down payment down on a house. Uh, my wife had a uh, nice Mercedes S-Class. I had the cheddar cheese Xterra that had the rubberized interior so I could go surfing and put my surfboards in there and just hose it out and didn't have to worry about anything. Life was humming along. Our son was just recently born. Uh, and I had already had the private school picked out. I know the water polo team he was going to play for, then the Pop Warner team, and how he was going to get drafted into the Chargers. It was going to be great. <laughs> Everything was coming together. Guys, we had the American dream, and we had it in spades. And I praise God to this day that we did not continue along that path, that his word broke in, and instead of hearing it, we decided to hear it and to do it. And so I walked into my boss's office, handed in my 30-day notice, and my boss says, what company are we losing you to? I put my head down and I go, well, we're actually joining this organization. He knew I was a believer, one of those funny guys. Um, and he said, uh, <clears throat> or I, I told him, we're joining this group called New Tribes Mission. And his jaw dropped to the floor, and after he picked it back up, the string of yeah, expletives come out. What views are you? Bleep, bleep, bleep. What are you doing? And he started listing off all the different things that I was throwing away. A 401k. Uh, I had a raise coming in another few months. The houses, the, or the house, the cars, the different things. Um, he started listing them all off. And guys, I had thought of every one of them. I already knew what he was going to say, and so I was going through the checklist. And he got to one that I didn't think of. And he said, do you realize that you're throwing your future away? but you're throwing your son's future away too. He's not gonna go to that school. He's not going to get very good health care. You're going to put him in a position where he could potentially get really, really sick. He could probably die over there. Are you ready for that? Whew, man, I'm a 25-year-old kid and I hadn't thought of that part of it just because I was so young at being a father and I came back and I told my wife this. 
Guys, we laid in bed at night with tears in our eyes. God, is this really what you have for us? Is this really what you want us to do? Is this just some whim? Are we out there? Are we being extreme? Should we take some time? And guys, again, I praise God that he continued to motivate us. No, this is what I have for you. This is where I have your lives going. And so we packed our bags and we headed off to New Tribes Training. And uh, we went through two years of training with New Tribes Mission to learn languages that had never been heard before. If you're going to take the gospel to an unreached people group in 2016 and when we were leaving in 2003, you're going to have to learn a language that has never been written down, never been heard before. That's where the languages are of the unreached people groups. So in order to do that, you've got to be trained in that. And that's what Carl and Myra do. That's what uh, I'm going to be working with Carl and Myra down at Radius in the next few months here, training people to take the gospel to unreached people groups, to places that have no gospel witness. And they are out there, 3,000 plus language groups still without a word of scripture in their language. And that's where we want it to go. If we're going to give up all this, we want to go somewhere where it's going to count. And so we went with new tribes. We got trained in uh, uh, phonetics, phonemics, animal butchering, uh, how to build airfields out of uh, what you see Dave landing there on the video. We had to build one of those in Yembe Yembe. All these different skills, solar power. Tell you what, missionaries were green before it was cool. learning how to do all these different things so that you could live independently in a location and you could actually be among the people and learn their language. And so we headed off to the country of Papua New Guinea, uh, again, where I was raised. Dave's on the other side of the island, same island. They're called Papua. We're called Papua New Guinea. And we went there because Papua New Guinea has the most languages and cultures of any country on the face of the earth. We went there, and uh, about, uh, it took us about six months to learn the national language, and then we uh, got handed, literally, a list got handed to us, and it was of nine tribes that had been asking for missionaries for seven years or more. They don't make the list unless they've been asking for five years consecutively. And these tribes are asking, they're sending out letters, they're sending out representatives, send someone to do what happened in that place, what happened in that other village where missionaries are at. And so we, uh, we looked at the list, and we picked this place called Tuwadi. Went down to the airfield of the day that we were going to survey it. We had to load up in an airplane, and the plane landed, and he says, guys, I've got good news, and i got bad news. The good news is it's great flying weather. The bad news is the Tuwadi airstrip where we were going to drop you off at and you were going to hike from. Uh, they got seven inches of rain last night, and the airstrip is flooded, and so we will not be landing at Tuwadi today. <laughs> and he goes, what's your second choice? So we flipped out the paper, looked through it. Second choice is this place called Yembe Yembe. And so right there on the tarmac, we made the decision. We quickly bottled up. Uh, we got a piece of paper, wrote out a little note saying, we're coming to see you guys. Uh, please be kind. We're coming in peace. We're responding to your letters. And we folded it up, and we put it in a little water bottle about like that. Flew over, uh, flew for about an hour, and then the pilot turned the plane on its side. We opened up the window, dropped the water bottle out. This little kid is running, and he's leaning out like he's going to catch the water bottle. And I'm going, oh, Lord, we're going to kill the first DMVM. <laughs> Luckily, he missed it. He didn't catch it, and he's waving the bottle, and everybody's crowding around him. We fly off. We land at another airfield, and then we motor canoe for about seven hours. And then we hike for the last three hours and we pull into Yembe Yembe. And the Yembe Yembe's are excitable people. They really, really like you, or they really, really don't. And they had been asking for 12 years for missionaries. And so when we pulled in, it was a party extraordinaire. If they like you, if you guys ever come to Yembe Yembe and you want to visit, 
what the Yembies do is they take a huge hunk of mud and they start at your forehead, they push it into your forehead, and then they push it all the way down to about the middle of your chest. Then they take a coconut and they crack the coconut over your head and then the juice comes down. And I mean, it's 110 degrees there, 90% humidity every day. So you're just pouring sweat with this coconut juice coming down. Then they take flower petals and they whip them at your face. And so you got the mud there and so it sticks to you and you look like this walking piece of potpourri. It's, it's awesome. And that was our introduction to Yembi Yembi. And guys... We, uh, we came in, we, did, we took some pictures, we took some uh, different uh, video clips, and we went back out and we evaluated it, and we decided that's where the Lord had us. And so we moved into Yembi Yembi, and I'll never forget when we moved in that uh, the Yembis actually took us aside, and they said, are you really going to come? Are you really going to live with us? Are you going to be someone who actually lives here? And we said, yeah. They said, okay, we don't want you to be like the goers and comers. They'd had tourists that actually had a missions team that had come into Yembi Yembi. People who go and leave. People who stay for five days, tourists who stay for three hours, and then they leave. They said, if you're going to come, we actually want you to become insiders. We want you to become part of the community. And what that meant in Yembi Yembi is, in Yembi Yembi, it's actually an insult to call somebody by their name. You call somebody by how you're related to them. Because the whole tribe through marriage and through friendship and through all these different things is related to each other. This is three and a half thousand people. And so they said, okay, you're going to be adopted into one of the clans. In Yembi, there's four clans. There's the ostrich clan, the eagle clan, the black cockatoos, and the toucans. So they look at me and they're like, yeah, you got the legs. You know what? You're part of the ostrich clan. All right. <laughs> they put my wife in the eagle clan. You can't marry somebody from the same clan. That's incest. That's bad all the way around the world. Um, and uh, they put all, we had two other families with us. They put us in different clans. And then they said, we don't know how they married you in the cold country. That's what they call every, every place outside of Papua New Guinea. They have no idea about Canada, the United States, outside the cold country. We don't even know if your marriage is real. You know what? They probably screwed it up. We don't even think it's real. We are going to have to remarry you. So the day my wife comes in on the motor canoe, we were able to cut the path and they came all the way up. Her sisters from the tribe never met them before. My wife, oh my goodness, the crown's in heaven waiting for that woman. They yank her out of the canoe, take her off to the corner of the village, and she's holding our two-year-old son, and they start decorating her face with bird feathers and with uh, charcoal and all these different things, and then they're bringing her in, and they're singing and chanting as they bring her in. And I'm standing here, and they bring her up, and they take our hands, tie them together with the black vine, and we were remarried. So I've been married twice. (laughs) And guys, we did all these things. We learned how to hunt. We built houses like they did. We lived like they did. We had their, their same diet. We did all these things so that we could be insiders. So that when the gospel came, it came as an insider. It didn't come as somebody from the outside. And guys, I challenge you. A lot of times our missiology is pretty strong. And man, take perspectives for that reason. But our methodology has yet to catch up with our missiology in a lot of ways. And that's where perspectives will help even more. Aren't you glad that we serve a God who is a missionary God? He didn't stand in heaven, sprinkle tracks on us, send an angel, go tell those people how much I love them, send somebody, work through a translator. Jesus lived here. You remember how many years he lived here before he did a day of ministry? 30, 30 years. What was he doing for 30 years? Man, we have a missionary like that in our congregation. Fire that guy. What are you doing out there? 
30 years before he had one day of ministry to become an insider, to become someone that when he speaks, he has a voice for two years of ministry, two very powerful years of ministry. Guys, if we're going to change the world, if we're going to go to unreached people groups, we have to go as insiders. We cannot afford to be outsiders because our God becomes an outsider. Our message is an outsider message, and it's added on to the existing belief system. It's never seen as separate or distinct, and I praise God that we went through all that. Anyways, we finished up that. It took us three years to learn the Yembiembi's language, and we finally started the foundational teaching. Creation to Christ, we taught all the way through, and the church was born in 2007. We had 50 brave believers. Uh, it was a very, very small group at the beginning, and how those men and women lived their lives continued to attract other people. How they died when they left this earth, very different than the normal Yembis. I know where I'm going. I have no fear. I die, and I die with peace in my belly, is how our guys would say it. And as that happened, more and more people joined the church. And over time, the Yembe Church, uh, to this day, is uh, over half of the village at this point. And so through the process, we were translating the scriptures. Uh, they've got to have something to actually read. You've got to leave them with a copy of God's word if the church is going to survive. And that's the thing. You're not out to make converts. You're out to make disciples, and disciples gather in churches. And so the translation was a huge, huge part of that. And we're going to show a little quick video right now. And this is just a small, small bit of the day that we brought the translation in. And it was actually dedicated in Yembe Yembe in the celebration. You'll get to see the Yembe's. They're a little bit more reserved when they had a whole bunch of people there. But this is what happened the day that we actually brought the translation in. If you want to see that video, it's on uh, Vimeo. I think Pastor's going to upload it to your guys' church server, so it'll be on there as well. But anyways, it's, that's the last chapter of the, of the whole thing. But anyways, um, yeah, just a neat, neat day, neat culmination kind of of what the ministry had there. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Matthew 28. What we have been talking about and reading about, we're going to teach about. If, you've got, if you don't have a Bible, there's one in the uh, chair right in front of you, and it's on page 1000, Matthew chapter 28. Verse 16, we're going to be looking at Jesus' last words before he left this earth. And uh, being a guy who was going to join the Marine Corps, man, this has a lot of weight to me. For those of you guys that have been in the military, you guys know that if there are conflicting orders between your commanding officer, you always go on the last word. The last order carries the precedence of the day. And this is our commanding officer. This is our God. He did not leave us with a vague idea of what we're supposed to do. What he left his church, his ambassadors to do when he left. He was very, very clear. And I want to read this to you and then we're going to go back over it and just highlight three points. It says this in chapter 28, verse 16. It says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is what he left his church to do. This is our mission. 
And if you call yourself, this is the part right here in the middle. It says this, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And what that means is if you call yourself a believer, if you call yourself a Christian, you are under his authority. You don't get to call the shots on your life. You don't get to decide, I'd like to buy that house in La Jolla. I'd like to keep my rubberized Xterra. I'd love to stay at this job. You're a person under authority. Guys, we could not get around that. This is the verse that sent my wife and I to Papua New Guinea 13 years ago. We are people under authority. We have somebody that has a plan, and our plans fit under his plans. We don't get to decide what we want to do if we call ourselves believers. Based off of that authority, he says here in verse 19, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I will be with you always to the very end of the age. Teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, not making converts. Jesus did not send us to go bring the nations, to bring them to an understanding of Jesus, to bring them to an understanding of the gospel, and leave them. I tell you what, we almost lost two of our supporting churches when we presented the gospel in 2007, came back to the United States for six months, and went back again in 2008 so that we wouldn't make converts. We would make disciples. And guys, there's a radical difference between converts and disciples. As I said in my opening uh, bit there, there was a church from Minnesota, actually, that had come in and had evangelized the Yembiambis ahead of us. The Yembiambis, according to this church in Minnesota, were a reached people group. And the Yembis told us stories about it later on. This church uh, was pretty well healed. They came over to the country of Papua New Guinea. They looked on the map. They saw there's this really big section in the middle that uh, has no gospel witness that we know of. So let's go there. Let's go present the gospel there. And what they did was they hired a helicopter, loaded up the 15 members of the team, flew into Yembe Yembe, landed, didn't know a lick of the tribal language, didn't know a lick of the national language, but they presented the gospel in mimes. And whoever understood got a bar of soap at the end. Guess how many people in Yembe Yembe understood? Every stinking one of them. Come on. I'd go for a bar of soap myself, and I live in San Diego. Guys, we have to understand that methodology counts. Making converts is not the call. To make disciples, to become insiders so that when we talk, when we lead, they've seen our life. They know what we're about. We're called to make disciples and to teach them everything that Jesus commanded the original disciples. That doesn't happen in a summer. It doesn't happen in a year. It happens over a series of years. Because guys, otherwise, you leave babies, and just like a real infant, you leave a baby without food, you leave a baby without water, you leave a baby without protection, that baby dies. And baby churches all over the world are dying because they've made converts, they're not disciples. We make disciples. And he says this, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Guys, <clears throat> taking the gospel somewhere where it hasn't been before will cost. It will cost the family that goes. It will cost the church that sends them. This is not a cost-free endeavor. It will 
be painful. And guys, I, <clears throat> I've seen my son loaded on the airplane. Uh, the airplane was too full. I didn't fit. My wife was going with him. He's got malaria. He had cerebral malaria at the time. Loading him on, tears in my eyes as I see the plane take off. Will I see that kid again? Will I hear his voice on this side of heaven? It will cost. It will cost. It will cost those of you that stay. Man, I love what John Piper says. Go, send, or disobey. Those are your three options if you believe this book. We go, we send, or we disobey. Guys, if you're going to stay, man, we live lives. You find that kid in the youth group. You find that kid in the college group. You find that young family that is heading somewhere. And we live lives based off of Jesus' final words. We don't buy. We don't upsize to the higher house. We don't go to the latest brand of car. We save so that we can send that family, so that we can be a part of that ministry, so that we can have our share in getting the gospel to the last unreached people groups. It will cost all of us. Man, I remember when we're moving into Yembi um, we had to build these houses that uh, they, were, they were made out of plywood and bush poles. And so we loaded up in these motor canoes and we were bringing uh, the, our supplies up the river. And I had my leg was in between two motor canoes and it got caught and it got twisted uh, right as we were loading up and going. And as I'm watching it and I'm sitting in the motor canoe, it's just getting enormous. It's turning into this football size. Well, we're coming down the river and we turn up the river and the tips of the canoes, we were just barely above the water. The tips of the canoes, when you're going up, you go down, the canoe sinks a little bit more, and the tips of the canoes go underwater. And I'm watching the plywood for our house float down the river. And I didn't know it at the time, but I was thanking God, plywood actually floats. And so we bailed the water out and got everything kind of ship shape, and then we went back and we picked up all the pieces of plywood that were floating down the river, and the Yembies said, uh, we're too heavy. We're too heavy. We're going to have to drop some of the supplies on the side of the river, and we're going to have to leave somebody here with them. And so they're looking around, and there's this big white guy who's taking up a lot of space and a lot of weight. And so they're like, mm, who do you think that should be? <laughs> All right, no mystery here. Whatever. Give it to me. So they leave me on the side of the bank, and the sun is going down. And they said, we know the tribe whose land you're on. They will be friendly. We will uh, we'll yell at them as we're going by their village, which is two rivers up. You'll be fine. We'll come get you in the morning. And I'm sitting there on the side of the bank going, Lord, this is not what I bargained for. This is not what I was in it for. And uh, I sat there for most of the night, and a good friend of mine who uh, he actually had just gotten out of the Navy, uh, Navy SEALs, he was out there, and he grabbed a motor. He had strapped it on, and he came down and got me about 2.30 in the morning. Went back up, and I got out to our base camp, and I wrote an email out to our supporters and just told them what I went through. And I was having a little internal pity party. Is this what it costs, Lord? A knee, and sitting there getting bitten up by mosquitoes. My plywood is shot. I haven't even built my house yet. Is this what it will cost? And a friend of mine wrote me. Uh, he's a pastor over here in East County, and he said, Wow, Brooks. What a neat thing. Man, I'd, I'd kill to give my knee for what you're doing. I'd kill to give my knee. Guys, that's what it will cost. It will be worth it, though, for us as we sacrifice on the home fronts and for the ones who go. It will be worth it, but it will cost. It will cost. Turn over one more passage, Romans chapter 15. This idea of Jesus 
commanding his church to go, the nations, one of the ideas that I've recently become acquainted with in the last three weeks since we got back to New Guinea is there's this idea now that, well, the nations are coming to us. Man, that's not, not the way Jesus saw it. We still go to the nations. That's not the way the apostle Paul saw it. We're going to look at that here in, verse 50, or, uh, in Romans chapter 15, and it's on your Bible. It's uh, page 1140. If you got the Bible in the back of the pew. In Romans 15, Paul is talking about <clears throat> his recent trip and what he is doing on that trip. And I'm going to hop here, one of the middle sections. I'm going to hop it. So we start in verse 17. It says this Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God, what he's been doing, all the trips that he's made, where the gospel has made inroads. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God. By what I have said and done, by the power of signs and miracles, through the power of the Spirit. So all the way from Jerusalem, all the way around to Elycrium, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of God. Now hop down here to verse 22. This is why I have been hindered from coming to you, because of all of those trips, because of everything he's doing in those regions. But now that there is no more place for me to work in these regions, and since I have been longing for many years to come to you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. From Jerusalem all the way around to Elycrium, modern-day Albania, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of God. And he actually goes so far here and he says, but now that there is no more place for me to work in these regions, there's no more work for me to do in these places. Most theologians, and I didn't know this until I actually translated the book of Romans, estimate that from Jerusalem all the way around to Elycrium, do you know what percentage of people actually got to hear the message of what Paul was speaking? Not necessarily believers, but were exposed to the gospel message in those languages. Two to five percent. Two to five percent. And Paul says, there's no more work for me to do in those regions. They're reached because they have access to the gospel. They have access to the word. And based off of that, there's no more effective work for me to do there. Oh, my goodness. Guys, oh, for the Western church to adopt that mentality. Where do we go? We go to the unreached people groups. That doesn't mean that when we're living in Chula Vista, when we're living in San Diego, we're not gospel ambassadors here as well, but our energy is going to the places where there is work yet to be done. We go to the places where the gospel has not penetrated yet. Two to five percent. They're reached, according to Paul. They're reached. There's no more work for me to do there. I remember when I was translating this book and I had to use multiple versions of the Bible because uh, my coworker or this buddy of mine, Job, he's a tribal guy. Uh, he sees me pull out a second version of the Bible. He goes, whoa, whoa, whoa. You have, two, you have two versions of the Bible? There's two translations of the Bible in your language? We're working on one. You have two? Oh my goodness. And I, it dawned on me. He goes, you, have, you, have, you really have two? And I said, Job, we have a lot more than two. He goes, how many do you have? I was too embarrassed. He said, we have about seven, maybe ten. Ten? You have ten versions of the Bible in your language. These aren't in multiple languages. 
No, in our one language. Guys, we have, I did a little research on it. We have almost 67 versions of the Bible translated into our language. Two to five percent, according to Paul, 67 versions. Where's the equality in that? I want to close. I'm going to tell you one story and we'll wrap up here. Um, when I was over in New Guinea, I was on the leadership team for New Tribes Mission, and uh, they, we always would draw straws at the end of the meeting. We had these people sending in letters asking for missionaries. And um, there was always a couple tribes that they didn't have people that were literate enough in the national language to send out letters, and so they'd send out ambassadors. They'd actually send out people and say, hey, we really want missionaries. Um, Can you send somebody to us? And so there was this one place, and it was way out in the boonies, and we all knew it was going to be a horrible hike. It was going to be like uh, nine hours to get out there, and then you were going to have to stay for three days. And anyways, so we literally drew straws, and sure enough, I'd draw the short straw. And so I got to go out there. So I fly back into the tribe, and I meet with the church, and I say, what do you guys think? And they said, yeah, we got to go. We got to go find out what this, what this place is like. But take one of our elders with us. Take one of the big guys. He's not an elder in the church. So my tribal father, Lucas, uh, he, he loads up with me. We load up in the plane. We get as much rice and noodles and possible food in there as we can, and we take off. And we do the same thing. We fly over Gatamambu. We drop the letter and say, hey, we're coming. Be friendly. We're actually coming in response to so-and-so who hiked out. We didn't think they could read it, but anyways, we dropped it. And then we fly and we fly and we fly. And every minute that you're flying, you know that's about three hours of hiking on the ground. And so we're flying, and we finally reach this airstrip called Ambunti. And we land in Ambunti. We load up in the motor canoe, go, 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 go. And then we start hiking. And we hike to, our first, to the first sister village of the tribe that we're going to called Garamambu. And we hike into this tribe called Yarakai. And the Yarakai people are excited. They don't see a lot of six foot two white guys coming in very often. And uh, they're excited, and we tell them we're going to Gatamambu, and we're working through interpreters here, and they're, they're just pumped. And so they said, man, can we go with you? I said, absolutely. You know what? And I got my pockets bulging with candy. I said, if any of you kids want to carry my backpack and the rice and that kind of stuff, there's candy at the end of the road. And they're like, done. And so they take the backpacks. They're flying through the jungle. I can't even keep up with them. And they get to the second village called Nawe. And they get to Nawe about an hour ahead of us. I'm lagging behind and uh, we get into Nawe, and there's this crowd that has gathered that's really, really excited because nobody, nobody goes to Gatamambu. It's so far out in the boonies. And so the Nawe people are excited. And so now we've got an entourage of about 100 people that are hiking with us, and they're all pumped. And so they go on ahead of us, and we're making, we're trying to get to Gatamambu before the sun goes down, and uh, the sun starts cutting, going behind the mountains, and we pull into Gatamambu right as the sun is going down. And guys, I've never been welcomed somewhere in my life like I was welcomed in Gatamambu. We pull in, and they had planted uh, flowers along the sides of the trail as we're pulling in. And they're singing, and they're dancing. They take out the fronds of the, the core of the frond. It's a little bit white. And they're all excited, and they'd literally taken a little pig, and they'd opened it up, and they'd cut up the nice parts. And so we went up there, and we're eating this pig and just going crazy. And everybody's hooting and hollering and everything else. And my tribal father, Lucas, leans over to me and he goes, do you know what they're doing? Yeah, they're excited. And he goes, do you know why they're excited? (laughs) No, Bob's, please tell me, enlighten me. He goes, they think you're the one. I said, what what do you mean? He goes, they think you're their missionary. You're the guy who's going to come live with them. 
I said, whoa, we, we're going to have a bad, bad session when we try and leave if we don't correct this. So we call the tribal chief over and we tell him, hey, listen, I'm not the guy. I'm coming here. I'm going to take some pictures. I'm going to write down your language on paper, and then I'm leaving in three days. Like, I, I'm not staying. I'm just making that clear to you. And he's hearing it, and he's all smiles. And again, it's through two interpreters, so who knows how much he gets. But he's like, ah, great. So it just keeps going on. The party keeps rolling. And they put us in a bark house, and every morning that we wake up, there is cracks in the bark on the wall and cracks on the floor, and there is this string of eyeballs going up the bark <laughs> from the little kids that are staring in. And I mean, they, they see us, and then there's like this talking outside, and everybody in the village knows, he's awake, he's awake, he's moving. Oh my goodness, he just scratched himself. It's amazing. <laughs> <clears throat> And so we're there for three days, and we're taking down language samples, and we're doing all this stuff. And finally, the third day, uh, I wake up in the morning, pull out the satellite phone, call the pilot, say, hey, I'm starting the hike in another half hour. I'm probably going to make it to the landing site at this time. If I don't make it at that point, then I'll call you, yada, yada. So get it, everything straightened out, and then we start tying our shoes on and getting ready for the hike. And the eyeballs up the wall, talk is flying through the village. And... Uh, <clears throat> We get outside, just outside the hut that we're staying in, and there's the chief, and there's a whole bunch of people around him, and he says, we got to talk. we got to talk. And so he takes us over to what they call the houseboy, and it's only for men. And he brings, he makes an exception, and he allows his wives and the wives of the, of the uh, village leaders to come in, and we're sitting on these benches, and his two wives are sitting on either side of me, and they have pure white hair. They have no teeth because they've been chewing betel nut all their lives, and I've got these hairy arms, and they just, they get such a kick out of rubbing my arms. And so I got these two ladies, and they're rubbing my arms, and they're kind of sneaking up, whoa, easy, let's keep it PG. Um, and they're just, they're jibber-jabbering. I can't understand a word they're saying, but they're just, man, they're loving on me. And I'm, I'm going, good night, this is going to be tough. And so the tribal chief gets up, and he goes, okay, I see that you're leaving. I see that you've strapped on your second feet, um, and where you're getting ready to go, but I want to know, when are the people, when are the missionaries that are going to learn our language, like you know this guy, my tribal father who's there, when are they coming for, our, for us? I said, I don't know. I really don't know. I, I'm sorry. It's going to be a while. I'm trying to be diplomatic here. It's going to be a while. And he goes, no, 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 no. How long will it be? How many moons will go past until our missionary comes? And I, I look down and I say, it's going to be a lot of moons. It's going to be a lot of moons. And he looks at me and he goes, no. And he slams his fist down. He's starting to get mad. He's getting agitated. He goes, give me a number. I want to know a number. How many moons will go by until our missionary comes? And I did not know what to say. And my tribal father leans over to me and he goes, I'll do it. I'll tell him. Please, thank you, Pops. You're the greatest. And Papa Lucas had been the one who had written the letters who had brought us into Yembe Yembe. And he stands up, and he knew it had taken them 12 years before we came to Yembe Yembe. And I'll never forget what he said. He said this. He goes, look around. Look around at everybody here who has white hair. Everyone here with white hair will be dead before this talk gets to you. That's how long it will take. That's how long it will take. Pin drops. You could have heard them. Two ladies on either side of me, hanging onto my arms. Hands come off. Tears start to come. They got the gray hair. 
He just gave them a death sentence. Guys, we hiked out of that village like we were sneaking out. It was the polar opposite of the way we came in. And to this day, we still do not have somebody to go into the tribe of Gatamambu yet. That is still waiting. They, are on the, they made the list last year. They've been asking for six years now. Guys, how we live, how we take the great commission of Jesus Christ seriously, man, it affects us all. It affects our church. It affects our families. It affects our neighborhoods. It affects everything about us, how we take the commands of God seriously. I pray that we do. Let me pray with you. Lord Jesus, thank you so much that you did not leave us vague as to your intentions for your church. You did not leave us wanting for information. You made it crystal clear. I pray that you would give us courage. You would give us bravery as we take the commands of Christ seriously. Thank you for this church. Thank you for the ones that they have sent out, that they continue to send out. Make them strong. Lord, I pray that on that day when they meet you, they would be overjoyed at what they invested in, not just here, but around the world. Thank you so much for being our God and for being with us to the very end of the age. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.